Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coaching the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome, party people, to the coaching the crooner Timberwolves podcast. Oh, and I uh, cannot call myself a coach and call this the Coach in the Culture podcast if I do not give a big shout out to what Cheryl Reeves is doing with the Minnesota Lynx. That woman can coach her ass off. I put that out there. I don't even care if we start the show with that. What she is doing is freaking phenomenal. And she is the best basketball coach in the state of Minnesota. And as much as I love Chris Finch, I don't even think it's very close right now. She is right now, you know, to use a bad analogy, but if you were to put together a hierarchy of basketball coaches for Minnesota sports teams, college and pro, Mm -hmm. Cheryl Reeves is Terrence Crawford. Chris Finch would be Spence <laughs> against Crawford, meaning he, he could be better than everybody else. But And then everybody else, my boy Ben over at the U, we haven't seen what the new U women's coach coming from West Virginia is going to do, but for that woman to take that team from 0-6 with two rookies in the starting lineup, injuries to her all-star player, injuries to her number one rookie throughout, you know, at point in times of the season, injuries to Ariel Power, sickness with Jessica Shepard, and to have that team climb all the way back to 500 and be playing the way they're playing and go into Connecticut and into New York and come out with W's in the last two games? Yeah. So this is uh, Ariel Power's first game back? Or she just her, her first, Well, she's been back, but, you know, she's had a little time, you know, one – Staying healthy and then cracking into the lineup because Ariel Powers, you know, she's a little trigger happy. And they are playing serious team ball. But it looked like against Connecticut, Ariel Powers figured out, get in where I fit in. And she had a really nice game. And she looked good doing it. She didn't take as many wild, bad shots. Right. Bad shot choice and shot selection. We're going to foreshadow and get to that later. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Cheryl Reeves and what she's doing. I don't know how the rest of the season is going to go, but goddamn, that woman can coach. Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned in to the Coach and the Culture podcast where we mostly talk Timberwolves, but as we evolve, we really want to get into talking all things Minnesota basketball with, you know, emphasis on the Timberwolves. My name is Coach Frank Centuali, and I am joined by Lance Gardner, owner of Yes Trees, and my son and former collegiate basketball player himself. And of course, the super producer, Lord Le- Lloyd Leon. Co- I called you Lord Leon. <laughs> Lloyd Leon, cool. In the building. <laughs> and uh, as always, he's going to be the one making this sound profound audio- audio-wise as we hit the uh, podcast airwave. So thank you for tuning in and uh, checking us out. This is the Coach and the Culture podcast. And as you heard, I am a big Shell Reese fan. I had to big up her. Um, but that is not the main thing we're going to talk about. Although I do have a good friend of mine, Onika Craven, committed to be a guest on a future pod. She's a big links follower, um, college basketball player. We used to work together in basketball camps. 
love to uh, always chat with her and she's going to be a great guest as we talk links uh, upcoming. But today our topics are going to be all about uh, revisiting the Rudy Gobert trade and what the new acquisitions mean in terms of identity for the Timberwolves, because I think there's a very clear identity that is being forged. And, you know, uh, will the Timberwolves be a top five? They were top 10 last year. Will they be a top five defense this year? And there was actually uh, an article uh, written um, by a gentleman by the name Benny Hughes on uh, Candace Hoopas uh on SB Nation that the headline of the article was can the Timberwolves be the best defensive team next season and it's interesting because I was already on those lines and that article popped up uh about a week ago no just just two days ago just yesterday and I was already I had sent a message out to uh you all that I wanted to talk about the new acquisitions in relationship to the Timberwolves defense about a week ago so uh apparently I'm not the only one that's uh thinking that they're buying into defense. So, yeah, what's up, Lance? Talk to me, man. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Good to be back once again. Looks like we're doing this a little more routinely now. Um, but, no, excited to continue talking about these Wolves and, and again, over this entire offseason, just continuing to see how how things are going to mesh and um, what to be prepared for at the start of the year. But I think that uh, I think this is a good a good offseason for them. Um, it's I think it's a little calmer than they've had in the last couple of years uh, with off seasons. And I think uh, with Anthony Edwards making it clear that um, he was staying here in Minnesota uh, to, to get better and to, to learn how to, to play with his teammates and to read the floor a little bit better. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and I, and there's a lot of uh, fear and trepidation going around Timberwolves world because it seems like all of our most important players are off playing for either a, uh, a world champ, a world championship for some nation or on a scrimmage squad, scout squad going against, uh, different nations, world championship team representations. And so, um, you know, everybody's going to be keeping their fingers crossed, hoping Rudy doesn't come back with back spasms and a knee brace and, hoping Cat doesn't injure himself playing for the Dominican and, you know, holding their breath, hoping Ant doesn't sprain an ankle again like he did scrimmaging out there with the U.S. select team in the past. And, you know, Nas is out there with Ant and, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Anderson, somehow a black man named Kyle Anderson is playing for Team China. Uh, (laughs) I'll tell you what, boy, I'll tell you what. When it comes to singing, dancing, acting, or hooping, black Americans get real universal. <laughs> we get global like a mug, boy, when it comes to what can we do with our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Seem to always be setting the standard and new, and raising the bar, and people, people attach onto that. Man, we gotta have to start calling him Kyle Anderson Lee. oh man (laughs) oh my goodness and uh you know and even luca garza i think he's uh on the on the scout squad scrimmaging with bosnia or somebody like that you know and that that means like the wolves got sounds to me like the wolves got a lot of pieces and players that other people are interested in 
I mean, look, we, we've been saying all along, one thing Tim Conley has done is put together a team of basketball talent, you know, and, and, and that's been my motto when I'm, you know, critiquing or evaluating the moves that's being made is that this roster, one through a bunch, excuse me, has NBA talent and talent that, uh, can do some things, you know, and, and so, no matter what moves Tim Connolly makes, he's making, you know, um, I, I was going to say big fish moves, but in light of that fight, I'm not using that term <laughs> from Saturday night because big fish got filleted, sliced, diced, skewered, put in a frying pan, sizzled up, battered, <laughs> literally <laughs> some shore lunch on him. But, um, uh, you know, he, he's going to be, he's going to be playing high stakes because he's going to be making moves with really, really high quality players, which means you're probably making moves for really, really high quality players. So that's one thing he's done is acquire talent, you know, um, let's, let's get into, you know, what this podcast is, is really going to talk about. And I would like to revisit speaking of Rudy Gobert and France and the world championships. I would like to revisit the Rudy Gobert trade, Lance, and and um, because you're a new co-host and and have not been a regular, you weren't around with this podcast when we were talking about the trade when Juice and I were talking about the trade last fall. Uh, so why don't you uh, go ahead and start by recapping what were your thoughts when the trade was made? What are your thoughts? now a year over a year later and what are your thoughts as it continues to play out yeah the first thing i remember is um there was one player that was coming the wolves way and there was a whole list <laughs> of things that were going out the door huh. i saw the trade pop up and i was, it just kept on going well this guy this guy this guy this pick this pick i wipe up on my phone because it just kept going so um, that was my initial reaction before anything. Um, out of that entire, you know, 10 item package, uh, I think, uh, my biggest, my biggest, my second thought was Patrick Beverly, um, was leaving. Uh, that was, I, I gave him a lot of credit for getting, being a part of the Wolves team that made it to the playoffs and, and got into the, um, got through the play in. I, I, I really think his mentality and his dog and his tenacity was a huge component in that playoff push. Yeah. Um, so seeing him, seeing him disappear, uh, it, it, it gave me a little, it brought me back to the, the feeling that I had of Minnesota basketball prior to him being there. Uh, I feel like him being there for just a year just completely shift the the mindset of players. The I mean, Minnesota nice is a real thing, and it seems like that translates over to our sports world as well. Um, so when he came in here, I thought, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, or yeah, Vikings just don't know how to close out games. They decide they want to be nice and run the ball instead of just putting up 15 more points. Um, but. Yeah, so that that was my second thought, and then from there it turned into okay, what's the positive out of here? Well, I, I see Rudy Gobert, and I know about Rudy Gobert, and I know about what he does. Um, I I I felt like we gave up a lot for him when it happened. Um, you know, it 
looking at the pieces, the two bigs. There was a lot of question marks for me about this trade. Um, so like most of everybody else <laughs> as everybody else. Um, you know, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and those are, those are the, the two things that really stood out to me, um, was just the amount that we gave up for him. And then out of all of those players, um, Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt, I, I really didn't like to see him go either just because of the energy that he brought to the team. And he's one of those players that you always want to have on your side. Um, you always want to have that hustle guy that, that gets those 50 50 balls that's always causing havoc because you don't want to go against that player. It's, those are annoyances. Let me ask you this. So, um, so then the year plays out, Cat gets hurt, obviously. Um, and the year plays out and they finish a couple games over 500, obviously a few games worse than they were the previous year. Although I think the majority of the West, everybody not named Denver and Memphis and Sacramento can probably say the same thing. Uh, maybe the Lakers, but you know, they've had, they, LeBron's a cheat code. So we just, they, we put an asterisk by all things Lakers. You know, um, and so the trade plays out the way it did. Cat gets hurt. Uh, what were your thoughts on the trade immediately after the season ended? After having said all of that, um, maybe what compl- and, and also taking into account that, you know, you saw kind of, you know, keeping in mind they also got rid of D though, but you saw kind of what role Beasley did, didn't play. Vanderbilt did slash didn't play. With the Lakers come playoff time, which I think was a big reason why they felt like they needed to make a big splash was because I think the, the, the front office felt like that team by making the play in and playing Memphis tough, that was kind of maxed out. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what were your thoughts? You know, at, what were your thoughts immediately there after the season in reflection? Um, after last season, I, I saw the potential. Um, I saw. I saw what was possible. I, I think, <laughs> I don't, I feel like the Mike Conley um, pickup had a big, a big, big part in that. I think that having a point guard that knew how to kind of use the pieces that the Wolves had, cause they don't have a, a traditional offense there. I mean, with no, no offense with Rudy at the five is really going to be traditional because you, you have to find a way to implement him in different ways. Um, but I, I saw the potential. Um, at the end of the year and, you know, going into this off season, I, I a hundred percent felt that, you know, the, the trade, like you were saying, the, the pieces that went to the Lakers, they didn't really do much. They, they didn't get much clock. They didn't get much time. And for me, that's showing that, you know, at a championship level, those guys couldn't be trusted to go in and, and do a job. So I think that grabbing Rudy and, and giving up those pieces that we saw weren't, you know, championship quality pieces. I, I can't be mad at it. And I'm excited to see, um, this style of basketball and see when they have time to, to, to figure it out, you know, what that looks like at the beginning of the year. So one year in, I can't be mad at the trade. Um, I know we added a couple more pieces after that time, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad we have him. Um, and we'll see if they're able to figure it out this year. That's that's what's up. With that, thank you. Know, it's just getting the listeners caught up on maybe what your thoughts on everything were, because like I said, you aren't really a part of this when when that trade went down, and we talked about it at nauseum over the course of the season, and you know, going into last season. I I would add to that. You know, one thing 
with the the multiple bigs thing. And 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 to recap, I I was for the trade when it happened. I felt like they didn't give up much from a personnel standpoint. At the time, we didn't know what Walker Kessler was going to be. We still don't know what Walker Kessler is going to be um, for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, the stats look good, but stats always look good on a bad team. Um, two, it's not uncommon for a center to have a really good year, especially when you're just doing things like rebounding and blocking shots and you're athletic and seven feet tall um, and then kind of playing out, right? We don't know what Walker Kessler's game is going to be. Um, but, you know, obviously he's much cheaper on a rookie deal than Rudy Gobert and he's much younger than Rudy Gobert. Again, I don't believe that if you substitute Walker Kessler for Rudy Gobert and Cat misses 55 games that you are a playoff team. And, you know, it was pointed out to me that the Timberwolves were eight and four uh, in games that Rudy Gobert didn't play. If you want to count the punch Kyle Anderson Lee game, they were nine and four. But then if you want to count the play in game against the Lakers, they were nine and five. Uh, out of those nine wins, you know how many they had against a team that finished above 500? How I many? One. One. So before we say, you know, we'll look at their record without Rudy Gobert. And you can say, well, yeah, the Timberwolves struggled against bad teams last year, too. At least they beat the bad teams without Rudy. But you're not going to make your hay if you can't beat the good teams. And the bottom line is they were one of the better teams in the league against teams with against playoff teams last year. And I think a big reason for that is because they had a top 10 defense. I think it was top three when Rudy was on the floor. Um, You know, I always tell our listeners, if you want stats, if you want the analytics, Listen to Locked On Wolves with Ben Beacon as a coach. I'm I'm probably much like Chris Finch. Give me or even even worse like Tom Thibodeau. Like, okay, this is what the analytics say. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I trust my eyes. Okay, thank you. And right, so if you want the analytics, Ben Beacon does a great job of that with Locked On Wolves. Dane Moore does a great job with that with his podcast. Um, what I know is that the Timberwolves were a top, top, top tier defense on when Rudy Gobert was on the floor. Um, so having said that, you know, I think that the trade can't fully be evaluated until this year. Um, what we know about the trade is that they're an average team, uh, when cats not on the floor, um, for 55 games, you can say, well, they were an average team. You know, their record was about 500 when Cat was on the floor. Yeah, but there's other dynamics at play there. They knew and had a long time to adjust to Cat being off the floor, right? They never got a chance to really adjust to Cat being on the floor with that group. And so I, I don't think that's apples to apples when you say, oh, well, yeah, they were about 500 when Cat was playing and they were about 500 when Cat wasn't playing. So it's a wash. No, it's not a wash because they had to forge three different identities. And Chris Finch has talked about that, you know, quite a bit. They had that, they had this develop an identity at the beginning of the season that they were working on. Then Cat gets hurt. Then they have to develop a whole new identity. And then Cat comes back. And now you have to, oh, by the way, sprinkle an all NBA player that already was not, you know, you already didn't have continuity back into something that now you've developed. 
that you don't want to upset the apple cart, right? Trying to get cat figured out. So I don't think that's apples to apples. But what we do know is that with cat missing 55 games, I don't, you know, well, we, I can't say I know they wouldn't have made the playoffs, but I truly don't believe they make the playoffs. Um, if Rudy Gobert is not on the roster last year, if they don't make the trade. And I definitely don't think they make the playoffs if uh, they don't make the trade and they're running it back with um, Beasley and Vando. And that's not a knock against Beasley or Vando, but that team overcame some very glaring weaknesses, thighs being the big one. Uh, and, and, And so I don't know. I wouldn't have wanted to push my luck with that situation. So I, and I think the verdict on the trade is still out. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, gentleman, and maybe you can look this up, Lloyd, for me because I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he killed in summer league and I'm just drawing a brain cramp. Uh, the gentleman Williams, no, the one that, no, the gentleman that Utah drafted with the 16th pick that would have oh. been the pick again, loosely say would have been the Wolves pick because if they don't make the trade, we don't know where they're picking because, you know, we don't know where, what the, uh, what the, um, record ends up being if they don't make the trade. But, um, so when you get, get that for me, Lloyd, let me know who the, uh, Jazz drafted this, this year with the, uh, you would, you would say, um, you would say that if, if at some point this season the Wolves do make a trade, uh, they get, either a, a top tier quality player in return or multiple picks. I don't think they are as interested in multiple picks as they are in a top tier player. Cause I don't think they want to go backwards. You didn't make the Rudy trade to go backwards. Um, in my opinion, you made the Rudy trade because you wanted a defensive stalwart rim protector, a center that might not be as uh, that that won't be as high usage as a cat would be. Um, and in that way, um, you could say the Rudy trade was all about Ant. And also in that way, you could say that if they do trade cat, which again, I'm, you know, I think they are just as likely to trade Rudy as they are to trade cat, depending on how things go. Um, but if you, if they do trade cat, I would expect them to bring back um, a couple of players, one of them, if not all-star caliber, near all-star caliber. The guy whose name comes to my mind really is Pascal Siakam. Um, And I, I don't see them, you know, maybe they want a package where they get four picks or five picks, but I think that they would probably prioritize the quality of players and two picks, you know, maybe two picks and a pick swap or something like that over trying to just get, um, you know, a bunch of picks to go with more youth around and for two reasons. One, because I don't think that they feel like they're going to be a lottery team as long as they have Rudy and Ant or Cat and Ant and Jaden. Right. So I don't, and, and especially with Mike Conley right now around, I don't feel like they feel like they'll be a lottery team. Um, you know, you could say maybe, um, you could say maybe, um, they'll get, you know, they'll make a trade for cat with 
a team that's projected to be in the lottery and and get lottery picks that way. But I think that they would go for um, a high-level player that has less years on their contract, maybe a high-level player um, with two years on the contract and a high-level player that's on an expiring, maybe a combination of two players like that um, and a couple of picks. I just don't feel like their idea of, you know, good of, of progress is trading cat for um you know trading cat for picks you know right. and, and the reason i asked that is because let's say they did want to trade cat for some first round picks and a pick swap and and for the next you know they wanted five picks four picks that's very doable that's very uh plausible to make salaries so you'd basically be taking garbage back just at, well, I shouldn't say garbage. It's a horrible way to think of human beings and players. You'd be, you'd be, you'd basically be taking low, lower value players back that are on expiring contracts or, you know, no more than, you know, or a contract with team options. Cause you got to make the salaries match. Right. Um, so, so you're saying you couldn't trade cat for four picks? No, cause you have to make salaries match. Gotcha. So you still need players. You could, but you still need players in that mix. Um, Keontae George is the guy that I was thinking of that, that, you know, had a great summer league and, um, and, and they're really high on in Utah. And again, summer league is how many guys that we've seen had a great Las Vegas summer league and turn out to be average players or, you know, slightly above average players. But, um, you know, if Walker Kessler and Keontae George both turn out to be all stars, then maybe you're looking at the Rudy trade in a different light. But again, there's all kinds of variables. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, Walker Kessler and Keontae George turn out to be all-stars down the line, but you trade Cat or you trade Rudy and you end up in the NBA finals with the residuals from that. Is it still a bad trade? Right. And so, you know, it, it's, it's so many variables and I, and I am not one that wants to jump the gun and say, Oh, it was the worst trade. It was the worst trade. If they didn't waited one more year and had all those picks available, maybe they'd have a package for Damian Lillard. Well, guess what? They got a package for Damian Lillard now if they wanted to. If Portland wanted cat, you know, cause Portland has made it pretty clear that, you know, they want, they want a good player, you know, otherwise they take Tyler Hero and a bunch of draft picks for Miami. You know, they want, quality and so you know maybe they maybe they'd have vando and beasley and and you know four draft picks to throw at portland for for dane you know who knows it's it's all conjecture it's all speculation at this point in time but i'm not willing to say the rudy trade was awful i'm not willing to say it was a good trade i don't know if it's gonna lean on bad okay push but the idea that's you know that this was just an awful trade and it was the worst trade of the last 20 years worse come to worse you have two all nba centers to figure out what you can get out of one or the other if you go the trade route to maximize anthony edwards and Jaden McDaniels. That's not a bad situation to be in. It's just not. And on top of that, 
you're running it back this year. And so the reality is, if hypothetically speaking, we come to the all-star break and the Timberwolves have the second best record in the West and they are just physically smash mouthing people and ants averaging 29 a game. Cause if you average 30 in the playoffs with Cat and Rudy on the floor, it's not a far stretch to say he can figure it out. Right. And so, um, you know, I just can't see where it's an awful situation to be in. And that's my assessment. Looking back on the trade, I don't feel much differently than when they made the trade. The Walker Kessler, um, you know, rookie year, definitely. I think for the for the I w- I don't want to say untrained eye, but for for those that really want to side on this was a horrible trade. All they really have left to point to right now is Walker Kessler. All the people that talked about how horrible this trade was, we knew that the t- Wolves pick was not going to be a lottery pick, and it wasn't. Um, Beasley's who we thought he was Vanderbilt's always gonna you know he's gonna have a job in the league for a long time and of course every team would be happy to have a Jared Vanderbilt I'd rather have a Rudy Gobert than Jared Vanderbilt Um, Patrick Beverly is you know unless he has some type of fountain of youth resurgence this year I think last year proved that you know he's a six foot one guard that's played a lot of basketball in his life mm-hmm. them knees got them out them, them, them wheels got some tread you know <laughs> some some somewhere on the tread um and then you know flipping d'angelo russell for for mike conley and shaking i'm uh, not shaking Mike conley and gnaw and draft picks i think you know was just kind of the end of that era's transition right you all i almost include that in the rudy trade even though it was a completely different deal because we all kind of knew d'angelo russell was going to be gone before season's in. Um, and so that was just kind of the last transitional move in, you know, that, that soft rebuild from the playoff team, you know, the playing team two years ago to the playing team last year. That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, people like you just said that, you know, the Mike Conley trade happened later, but who knows that, uh, that Tim Conley wasn't thinking about this while Rudy was being traded, right? Like they're, they're thinking well down the road of what, what their plan is going to look like. So, um, people don't even include that in the, in that trade package, but that, who was to say that that wasn't part of the whole plan. And, and, and I, then, feel like I heard somewhere that they actually wanted to include Delo in the original Gobert trade in Utah didn't want it, which would, you know, and I, I you know, I just feel like I heard that somewhere. I don't remember where. And, but that would trend because even though the deal was with Utah, it was a three-way and it sent d right. to LA. So clearly Utah didn't want d Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, on just, you know, the trade, it, if you look at the Timberwolves roster right now, I think it looked better than it did a year ago. So, um, uh, I don't, you know, if, if, if that's the, the standard that we're looking for, it looks to me like the Timberwolves look better. And I think if they play together, they're going to have a better record. They're going to go further than the first round if they figure out how to play together. So to me, that's a positive trade. Yeah, I, I, you know, and and I think that it will still bear fruit regardless of whether they end up trading Rudy or end up trading Cat or in a best case scenario, they are beating ass and taking names and it's 
on and you know, they make their way deep, deep, deep in the playoffs and it's worth going into the second shelf of the luxury tax to keep that core, you know, keep this basic good, this top 12 together, yeah. uh, make a run at a championship. That would be, you know, best case scenario because it's not my money. Um, <laughs> it would be, they'd be in game seven of the Western Conference finals or in the NBA finals somehow, some way. Um, and, and they look at it and go, yeah, we're going to go ahead and go over the second shelf of the luxury tax because, you know, this team is one of the four better NBA. Right. Um, speaking of this team being better than last year's, um, and, and I don't think that's a minority opinion. I think many people feel like this team is deeper and, you know, and cats healthy as of now. So that automatically, I think, makes them better. Um, Let's segue into something I've really been wanting to talk about. This is coach speak now getting into kind of the identity that I see being forged by Tim Connolly, Chris Finch, and this Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team. And Lance, you know me as a coach. And so, you know, my favorite thing about basketball is defense. And so I am looking at this Timberwolves team coming up this year and I get, you know, I get a little drool, a little nipple drool. You know how you be flipping through the, you know, the, the cosmopolitan magazines and you're trying to look and see is that, is that a nipple? I say, yeah, that's a nipple. Cause I got a little drool coming. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, I stole that from the art of war from the Wesley Snipes, Sean Connery movie back in the day. Cause I'm old like that. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles, they said, is that, is that a, is that a nip? Melvin Van Peebles said, yep, that's a nipple. He said, how you know? Cause I'm drooling. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, defense. Oh my goodness. So we talked the last pod and we know that out is Tori and Prince and, uh, and Boomerang too. Yeah. Yeah. But, both of those movies, yeah, uh, pulled that one on us, huh? Uh, uh, yeah, Boomerang, yeah. Um, um, see, I didn't see nipples and throw me off track. <laughs> Dang it, Lloyd. <laughs> the focus on perimeter defense. Yeah, I went from deep, man, I got real, ooh, squirrel. <laughs> Squirrel with no shirt on. Uh, <laughs> perimeter defense, man. So we talked about the, the the free agent acquisitions, and 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 we talked about Troy Brown Jr. Um, we talked about uh, bringing back Nikhil Alexander Walker. We talked about Torian Prince being out. Uh, we talked about Shake Milton. Um, and when I thought about those players and started doing more research about what those players are and what they bring to the table. And, of course, everybody, you know, will Brown Jr. be able to shoot the three like Torian Prince? Will Shake Milton be able to, you know, um, be better than Jalen Noel at that backup point slash combo guard role? You know, um, everybody only thinks of Nikhil Alexander-Walker as defensive-minded, but one of the things that stuck out to me was, although streaky, He's a sneaky good three point shooter and Ben Beacon on Locked On Wolves um mentioned that he was surprised that um that um I believe 
Nas shot like 41, 42% on above the break threes. I think he was around 39% overall for the season. That's about all the stats I'll get into. And I'm just quoting Ben Beacon or misquoting him, one of the two. But I know um, Nas was up there. And, um, but when I looked at those guys, I looked at individual defenders. And, you know, it's widely known that Torian Prince is a really good team defender, but the play that sticks out to me last year, that was the straw that broke the camel's back because there was a number of times I looked at Torian Prince and he was getting blown by and he wasn't getting blown by like a D-Lo blow by where you can tell he's just not really trying. He was getting blown by because you could tell that he did not have the foot speed, the lateral speed to be able to keep guys in front of him. And the play that sealed it for me was the play where LeBron went hard right, um, which was a set design, by the way, and hit Dennis Schroeder in the corner, and he hit the three-point shot that put the Lakers up three um, at the end of regulation in the playing game just before Mike Connolly hit the three free throws after uh, AD had a brain fart and fouled him shooting the three, and he hit the three free throws to send it in overtime. But LeBron is LeBron, but LeBron is not a spring chicken. LeBron is not as fast as LeBron was when he came into the league at 18. He's not as fast as he was when he was playing with the Heat. And LeBron went right, which is not where you want LeBron to go. And Torian Prince, you could tell, was really trying to will his way to the cutoff point, and he couldn't get there. And that's what drew the help, and that's what allowed um AD to set the hammer screen and that's what allowed Dennis Schroeder to be Schroeder to be wide open for that three. And to me, that was a play that was indicative of what I had seen throughout the season in terms of Torian Prince just not able to keep guys in front of him. Um, and he's a yeah. At the same time, I don't think anybody on the team took more charges than Torian Prince, right? But this team is not building, I think, around having to have help defense be the focal point of your defense. This team is being built with guys that can lock down one-on-one and keep guys in front of them, guys that can get over screens and stay with their man. And if they do decide to switch, you're switching one really elite defender to another elite defender. This team is being built to lock people down. And I feel like more than anything, that's what the acquisitions, even Shake Milton, who doesn't have a great defensive rating, right? Um, and I think there's some reason for that. One, he's oftentimes playing the point guard and he's big. I think he's a legit six, four, six, five. And he's oftentimes playing, um, on, on ball against the point guard who's coming off the bench. And what you see in the NBA is a lot of times the backup point guards look like Jordan McLaughlin. These 5'11", 6 feet, 6'1", water bug guys. And for a guy 6'4", 6'5", like Shake Milton, those guys are hard to stay, you know, and to navigate around ball screens and still stay in front of. So that is a little bit of my guess as to why Shake Milton's defensive numbers aren't great because in ISO, he's not bad at all. And I think that's what this team is doing. It's putting on the floor at the 1, 2, and 3, uh, Mike Conley aside, um, who's going to play D with more savvy at 36 years old than he is with athleticism, but he's so damn smart and he knows how to maximize his effort 
that he's not a stiff. Obviously, he's a much bigger upgrade than D'Angelo Russell, even at 36 years old. Um, so I think that those acquisitions, um, as much as they um, help on the offensive end, and we're going to come back to offense, I think they got guys that can lock you down in isolation and guys that can fight over ball screens so that you are being put in isolation late shot clock. And that's why I think this team is going to surprise people this year. And I think that they are going to be a top five defense because Rudy by himself is a top 10 defense, clearly. You know, do you, do you feel like part of the reason they got a little more ISO defensive players is because, um, part of the reason or problem with having Rudy in protecting the rim is you almost get too comfortable hoping that he's going to have your back? Um, I think that can be a little bit of a thing if you're not accustomed to playing with him. You know, and I think that was part of the growing pains with this team last year is you got a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old and then D'Angelo Russell out on the perimeter with an attitude, especially in Ant and D'Lo, of I'm here to get buckets. And now we got Rudy, so we can just funnel everything to him and focus on getting buckets. And they, you know, they found out that's not a good way to go, especially against bad teams. Um, so I think that can be a thing when you're not accustomed to playing with Rudy. I don't think they have that excuse this year um, for a couple of reasons. One, they have Mike Connolly for a full season in from camp. And I just don't think Mike is going to allow that mentality to, to carry over from last year. Um, Ant and Jaden, um, do have experience playing with Rudy. No, already had experience playing with Nudy, Rudy. Um, and, um, so, you know, I, I don't think that that mentality should be a prevailing mentality as much this year. I just think that they are sending the signal as an organization that we want guys that can defend their position, whichever position they're playing, that can defend in isolation that can fight over ball screens and stay with their man so that if we're switching, it's more by scheme and design and less by necessity. Um, and then, yeah, if you cannot put a bunch of pressure on Rudy, that does make him that much better of a defender and rebounder. Um, and so, you know, I think that, that, uh, and especially in the second unit, because if they continue with their pattern, the other thing is, you know, Nas Reed is going to have to play with Rudy and with Cat. I mean, Nas Reed is primarily going to be the power forward. And, you know, I think he's still growing defensively. One of the things that uh, I get irritated about, and uh, as much as I love Ben Beacon, I'm going to, I'm going to poke at him a little bit. Um, ben, you can holler at me if you ever listen to our pod and hear this. Um, is that he tends to, you know, like when he talks about Nas playing with the bigs, is he talks about, you know, Nas's defensive track record with Cat and even last year with Rudy. Um and talks about how Nas has really not the team has not been good defensively when Nas is playing the four spot. Um and I would debate and argue back that when you say, you know, traditionally, traditionally what? Nas is twenty four. He's been in the league for three going on four years. Right. If you and, and really only been 
a key contributor for, let's say, two and a half, right? And so outside of the Jaden McDaniels of the world and a few like him, most young players don't come into the league knowing how to play defense. They just don't. You don't never have to defend NBA guys until you have to defend NBA guys. You don't have to know and understand NBA concepts and be on a string and have defensive relationships with your teammates at an NBA level until you're in the NBA. And a lot of young guys are trying to figure out how to stay in the league. And most guys assume that the way to stay in the league is to be a valuable offensive player. So we don't really know what Nas defensively can look like because he's too young and doesn't have enough experience for us to be able to draw a conclusion. What we do know is he's now making $14 million. He's now pretty much going to almost be by the money guaranteed that he's going to get extensive playing time. And we know that he's mostly going to be getting his playing time at the power forward. Now this year is the year to evaluate Nas defensively as a power forward. You know, when he comes off the bench. At the end of this season, we can look back and evaluate the numbers and make a projection on Nas going forward because he has positional security, he has financial security, and he has experience. Those are three things that he did not have up until this point. And so it was real easy to not look good in intermittent minutes as a defender when you don't have confidence in any of those variables. You know, so I think that this team is built to play D. I agree. And I, I, how do you feel about when you're building a team to play defense? Um, what offensively, how, what does that look like? Because, um, when Mike Conley's not on the floor, we have Ant, Kyle Anderson, Jaden McDaniels, let's say Cat and and uh, Rudy. How do you, when you're so focused on defense, are is is the depth? I know we talked last or two weeks ago about Shake Milton's ability to score. Um, are you really just aiming for low scoring games with that defense, or are you assuming that Ant and Cat and Mike Conley with his 15 points a game, are going to score enough? Well, I do think they're trying to find a balance. And um, as a coach, I'd rather I'd rather be the Miami Heat than the Houston Rockets, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather be a team that relies on ball control and defensive identity and, and maximizing possessions than a team that just wants to run and shoot. Right? And so... I look at it, the team that I'm starting to feel vibes like is the Philadelphia 76ers, the year that they went to the finals um, and they had Aaron McKee and Dikembe Mutombo and Eric Snow and that crew um, around Allen Iverson, right? And... The reason why that team comes to mind is, you know, AI was a force of nature and it was very clear that the, the, the roster construction was get me all of the best defensive guys that I can afford and put them around AI because 
we know he's going to go get 35 to 40, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, they're all NBA players. So if everybody's playing off of AI, you know, and this was at a time where the league was a little bit more low scoring, but, you know, you're going to get to 105 if everybody plays off of AI, if he's scoring a third of your points, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, or even a little bit more than a third of your points. So um, obviously some more high scoring NBA, but, in similar mindset, especially with this team this year, and this might be a um, um, uh, foreshadowing of the blueprint for whatever they decide to do with Cat, especially if you're a trade Cat advocate, which, again, I'm not. But if you are, you say, OK, well, we have our 30 point a game score and we have our Dikembe Mutombo, you know, type center. Um we have our lockdown wing defender, Jaden McDaniels slash Aaron McKee, right? We have our lockdown um, wing defender. Um, and then you fill in around that and you out on being able to lock up people and then have a guy that can just close people out, right? Um, it's not quite that simple in today's game of pace and possessions and high scoring um, during the regular season, at least. Um, but I think one of the things we've seen the last couple of years is the Timberwolves are built for playoff ball. I mean, they haven't advanced, um, but they've been a really, you know, they've been a playing team that has played really competitive games against the team, you know, the one seed last year, the two seed the year before. And, you know, really the year before just blew some games um, being immature and then, and then last year, you know, you, you're going, you're going to get the number one seed without, you know, two of your top seven rotation and then game five, three of your top seven rotation. So that doesn't help, but they were very competitive and you can tell that, you know, their style is built to win in the playoffs. And I just think that they're doubling down on that, not only by running it back, but by bringing in guys that can stay in front of people. Um, and, and I know, I know on top of that, um, you know, we've been talking about Ant's next level mm-hmm. and what that encompasses, and it seems to be that his next level is how does he get his teammates involved and how does he facilitate. And I think, you know, I I asked you the question, but I had my own thoughts about it, and I I think that, you know, outside of Ant and Cat, I don't think they have a ton of prolific scores, but they have capable scores. They have guys that if you if you leave them open, they will make the shot. They have guys that if, if they're ISO'd, they can get by you. They will make the smart play. They'll make the right play. They have, you know, you've talked about, um, you know, your, your Twitter back and forth with someone about building around Ant and how they've already done that, right? They, they have the pieces around him. It's how far is he able to take, you know, this team now? How far is he able to lead them and figure out how he can get those guys involved in the spaces that they need because he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the, they're, they are focused on defense and I, I think that's very clear. I also think that they have offensive weapons that can be unlocked. And when they figure out their role, like I said, if this team figures out how to play together, it's going to be tough. I mean, they've got depth, they've got size, they've got ability, they've got athleticism, they've got the shooting ability, they've got, they've got everything you could want at an NBA level from, offense to defense um now it's all just can you bring it together i i agree with that and you know 
one right now, the whole league is so talented. You know, there's there's at least 28 other franchises and their pods are probably saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whole league is really talented. And so what I like about what they've constructed and why I think it's going to complement their defense is um, if you replace, let's just say, just role definition, you replace Jalen Noel with Shake Milton. And I think the wide assumption is that Shake Milton's role is going to be his role is that combo one, two, come off the bench can facilitate offense, but also can play off the ball, probably play with Ant a lot, kind of like Jalen Noel did last year. Um, but let's just be honest. Jalen Noel had a really awful year. And um, the thing that I always worried about Jalen Noel, even going back to um, when, you know, his rookie year, um, he was killing in the G League, and then he would come up with the big, get a call up with the big club, get some run, and just couldn't make a shot. But then down in the G League, he's knocking everything down. And then he'd come up again and he just couldn't make a shot. You know, and that, and, and you could see the body language. You could see he was trying so hard and so frustrated that it wasn't translating. Right. And, um, and then, you know, season before last, it all kind of came together, but he had a, a rough streaky patch during that season. And we remember how well he played. Um, and part of it is he was playing well at a time when Malik Beasley could not hit the broad side of a barn. Right. Um, and so then his play, his good play was even further accentuated to the point where I was even really high on him coming into last year. And I think the Timberwolves were too. Um, but I just think that Jalen Noel is one of them players that bad streaks get in his head and he can't get out. And I think that he's really talented. I think he's a walking bucket. The other part is his defense was so bad. And it was bad in a way that for me was not really comprehensible because some of the stuff that he was doing on defense, some of the lapses that he made on defense and coverages or in man to man defense was just high schoolish. Right. And, and so, and I, and I don't know how much that had to do with his offensive struggles in terms of, man, these coaches are always on me and there's so much pressure that if I want to stay on the floor, I got to be able to play defense and then I'm struggling on defense. So I got to be able to make shots to stay on the floor and all of that mind game that happens. Right. Um, and I just feel like Shake Milton is. Um, and again, you know, it's not like I was in Philly watching the 76ers every night, but from what I've seen of him, it just seems like he's more mentally stable in terms of his confidence as to who he is as a basketball player and what he brings to the table. Um, and so if you, and then again, you can't get any worse than Jalen Noel was defensively. Mm-hmm. You just can't both in, you know, he had some moments in isolation defense where he was okay, but my God, some of his missed assignments and missed closeouts and bad decisions on who to close out to or where to close out or deciding to overhelp when there was no need for it and leaving a, a noted shooter. The play that comes to my mind the most, I talked about it on the pod last year, was when he decided to leave Luke Kennard when he was with the Clippers. I was just like, dude, I know the scout report says, do not for any reason leave this player. And he left him for no reason. And of course, Kennard nails a three. You know, so... 
things like that were just like, you just, you got to be smarter than that. And Tim Conley said it at the end of the season press conference, we got to get smarter, right? In part, that's right. right. And part of smarter leads to, you know, how do you help your defense be better, not only on the defensive end, but being smarter on the offensive end makes you a better defensive team, right? And um, one of the things I've adopted the last couple of years is the difference between shot selection and shot choice. And this is something that I'm working with my players on. And in my opinion, shot selection is a team concept right? What shot do we get coming down the court? Who do we get it from? What is time, score, scenarios, situations, right? Shot selection is a team concept thing. Shot choice is an individual player thing, right? And so just because you end up with being the right shot selection, based off of the flow of what's happened offensively, you now have to make the right shot choice. And when you are not a confident player, as Jalen Noel was not last year, your shot choice, even if it's in the team's concept, the right shot selection can determine whether the other team is taking the ball out of bounds, whether your team is in position for an offensive rebound, or whether you are igniting a fast break going the other way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the choice between a floater and a pull-up, the choice between a deep three and getting all the way to the rack, the choice between dunking on somebody and drawing a foul, right? Those are shot choice things. And I feel like Troy Brown Jr., Shake Milton, especially Shake Milton, though, given the no- Noel comparison that we're talking about, seems to be smarter about his shot choice and more team-oriented about his shot selection. And keep in mind, this is a guy who just came from a team that was playing with James Harden, Joel Embiid, and so there's a dynamic there that he thoroughly understands when you're playing with the team with Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, and then, you know, one of the things that, um, again, listening to, Locked on Wolves and Ben Beacon did a crossover broadcast with the Lakers, uh, locked on Lakers people. And they talked about Troy Brown being a really good ball mover, that he's not sticky with the ball, that he's going to make a quick decision. Again, shot selection and shot choice. Noel was a black hole. You never knew what you were going to get, but you knew you were going to get a shot. Yep. You, you did. You didn't know what kind of shot you didn't, but you knew you were. 95% sure you were going to get a shot or a turnover, right? Um, and so if you bring in guys that, you know, are more effective on the defensive end, have a better concept of shot selection, time, score, situation, so on and so forth, and have a better concept of shot choice than the guys you left. Because Torian Prince, when he was on a heater, man. Dude could fill it up, especially corner threes when he was on a heater. But there was some shots that he took last year that I was like, for a veteran to make that shot choice and selection at that moment of the game was kind of disappointing, right? And there's going to be some of that. They're NBA players. They believe every shot they take is going to go in, right? So there's going to be some of that no matter who's out there. But if you can limit that, 
it goes back to what I talked about last year um, when I did the season preview is will the Timberwolves value possessions enough to maximize the talent they have on the team? And I think Tim Connolly has constructed a team that will value possessions and be better individually on defense. And if you have that and health, how can they not be better? If you have an identity, that is, we're going to lock people up on the perimeter to take stress off a cat at the four, to take stress off a Nas at the four, to have an ident- to have take pride in defense so that Rudy is not leaned on, but instead just the last line, right? Mm-hmm. We're not leaning on Rudy. He's a, um, you know, he's, he's the cherry on top. He's an asset more than a necessity. And mm-hmm. if they can build a defensive identity like that, that also potentially gives you options in terms of whether you trade Cat or trade Rudy because Cat is nowhere near the rim protector at the five position than Rudy is. But if you are locking everybody down on the perimeter, Cat doesn't need to be the rim protector that Rudy is. And maybe you can revert back to that kind of Cat-centric, offensive-minded, you know, half-court offense along with Ant as opposed to that you know got to have that defensive anchor because we can't stop anybody from getting down the lane on us. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. Um, and oh, man, I was thinking about um, thinking about Cat. If they oh how how you know they just gave Nas that money and if they do end up again, I. I really just hope that all these guys play together and come trade deadline. They are, you know, top four, top three, even in the West and they're playing well and they've all figured it all out. If that doesn't happen, um, you know, Nas Reed, depending on, you know, what he's shown us so far is a very capable starting four as well. Oh, absolutely. So now you, you know, if, if you're, if your real struggle is, you know, if you're looking for another point guard for the future, um, now you have Nas Reed playing that four position, and you know who's after Nas Reed? At least in my book that I've seen a little bit out of is your boy Leonard Miller. I was just saying, you got to say Leonard Miller. <laughs> yep, I told you, if he gets this opportunity, he's going to shine. Um, so there's, there's definitely, I, I like to think that the Wolves are in a great position. I think that it's been constructed well. I think that they have a lot of a lot of potential, um, and, and maturity wise, I think is how how they mature mentally this year is gonna is gonna tell a lot. I think Cat individually, his mental, um, and how mature he is on the floor this year, um, is gonna tell a lot. And I think, you know, just kind of general generalizing all of this right now, but I think the Wolves are, I think they're extremely hungry. And I said that I said this last time. I think they all know what's on the line. I think they understand that they have the pieces that they need, um, even though they are, you know, relatively young. They, like I said, they've, they've, through the last three years, they've been through a lot and they've, they've made it to a point where they've got the playoff experience now. They've got guys, um, you know, Rudy's, Rudy's been in the playoffs, you know, for multiple years. So they've, they've got guys now that have that playoff experience. I feel like our, Coaching staff is there. You know, that's been up and down for the past, what, 15 years? <laughs> um, so I just feel like this is a, a point in time where um, the Wolves are going to mature a little bit. 
and they've they've got they've got the pieces. Well, that you know, one of the things that that plays into is that although they are young, right? They so by um, letting Torian Prince go, um, you know, they 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 bring in Milton, who I believe is twenty five, and 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 Brown, who I believe is twenty four. You know, Nas, I think 24, 25 years old, 24 years old, something like that. Um, so they are young, but they're young with experience. And I think that counts for something too. When you have guys that still have their legs and still have their bounce, but they're not young guys that have been, you know, in the G league for the last three years or, you know, not getting 20 minutes a game anywhere. You got guys that are young, but have real NBA experience, even, even with Nas Reed, you know, being 24 years old and signing this contract, you know, Nas has real NBA experience now. And so, you know, and obviously Ant and Jaden, like they're young vets really. And so the immaturity thing has to stop. And, and I think that's one of the things that Tim Connolly pointed out in the postseason. And, and I think he's been a man of his word in terms of going and getting guys that um, are confident in who they are as players, even though they're young and are going to, and who understand valuing possession. And, and let's, you know, let's also not discount the fact that shake Milton's coming from Philly. They've been expected to make, even if they haven't deep, you know, they've been, they've been a finals favorite each of the last, what, three years. Yeah. Right. And, and again, you're playing on a team with Embiid. You're playing on a team with Harden the last couple of years. You're playing with guys that, that, that have an expectation about how you're going to play. Um, Troy Brown Jr. came from LA. You've been playing with LeBron and AD. There's an expectation from LeBron about how you're going to play and what wins and doesn't win. So not only are these guys young and they're young with experience, but they're young with experience playing on teams with high expectations and pressure cookers, you know, with elite players. And so they can bring that understanding of, you know, how to, how to play a controlled style of basketball, how to maximize possessions, how to not take silly, dumb shots really for lack of a better term there was just too many times where the Timberwolves blew leads by not maximizing possessions whether it was careless turnovers or just horrible shot selection or horrible shot choice right and and these guys come from um some organizations and some teammates where there's an expectation of accountability for how you play and, and to be 24 and 25 and to come over and bring that to your new franchise, I think it's huge. And I think it's really understated, especially on the defensive end of the floor. I really, I really think that every every piece on this team has a role. I think that you know Jaden McDaniels being able to be a lockdown defender and not have to be accounted for a ton of scoring is perfect for his role. I think. But or, I was gonna say I I. Don't be surprised if you don't see a big uptick in his scoring. And, and and on top of that, if they do trade Cat at the deadline or, you know, by the deadline, 
I think it's going to be because they are 100% co- positive that Jaden McDaniels is capable of being a 20-point-a-game scorer, if not more. I think they feel like, because if you do trade Cat, you've got to account for, you know, unless you're going to trade him for like a Pascal Siakam, who would be a perfect fit at the four spot, right? Um, or, you know, I don't know about a high-scoring usage point guard not named Damian Lillard. Right. <laughs> so... Um, because Anthony Edwards is going to have so such high usage at the guard spot. And do you really want to bring in somebody that's also going to stunt the shot taking development of Jaden McDaniels even more than he's already started with Cat on the floor, right? Oh uh, So you 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 do think that that Jaden McDaniels is gonna be averaging anywhere from seventeen to twenty points a game this year? I don't know. Because it depends on how he's used, but I think that they're not going to make a move until they are confident that if he gets the usage that he can produce with efficiency. So I guess my point with what I was saying was Jaden McDaniels does not have to score 25 points a game for the Wolves to win. No. So his role... His role right now with the way that the team is assimilated, he does not have to do that. His role is to lock up on defense and knock down corner threes when necessary and fast break, stuff like that, easy easy buckets. He doesn't have to force his shots. He doesn't have to put that burden on his back to go and be a scorer. If they're healthy and Cat's on the team all year long and Jaden McDaniel scores 15 points a game or more, that is gravy. Right. Um, so, yeah, my, my whole – point with that was that I feel like the team each player each starting you know five member has their role and I think that with a lot of young teams that is not the case I I think everyone's trying to figure out their role and kind of prove themselves and with this young squad I feel like over the past you know last year and into this year um, everyone's accepted I don't know what Cat's gonna do this year because we didn't get to see last year what his role was with this team obviously the two big situation um but if Cat can I think Cat's the only one in this in this puzzle here that we have to see how he fits in because again he wasn't there last year that's the whole question mark um how does Cat fit into this puzzle piece but I think that Mike Conley knows his role I think that Ant knows his role I think that Jay McDaniel knows his role I think that Rudy Gobert knows his role, and I think that the guys coming off the bench are also going to know their role, and that's something that you don't find too often. Even in Philly, you have James Harden and Joel Embiid constantly trying to figure out their role. Those are two all-stars that are figuring out their role. Um, in Denver, I would say is a team that everyone knew their role. Everybody knew exactly what they needed to do, what their job was, and they focused on that and I think the Wolves are in a position for the players to focus on their role and that will that that alone you know a team that everyone knows their role is a lot better than um, a team where guys are trying to step outside or do too much or try to secure you know everyone on the Wolves I would say at this point I mean Jaden McDaniels is the only one without a secured contract right now. I mean he's 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 on the verge of of securing his bag, but for the most part everybody else nobody needs to worry about the money. Well, it, you know it's funny you say that because I was just sitting over here thinking I wonder if the um flux about the cat situation is having an effect on the Jaden McDaniels contract 
extension negotiations um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, the big thing you just hit on, which is roles, right? Because depending on if, if they decide they're going to trade cat by the deadline, right? If you're Jaden McDaniels, do you, you know, and obviously they're not going to tell Jaden McDaniels what their intentions are, right? Um, but if you're Jaden McDaniels, do you wait and see how things play out up through the deadline um, before you agree to an extension? Or do you agree to an extension and just get it out of the way so your head's clear so you don't have to worry about it? Like To me, these are the things that could potentially upset the apple cart, right? If Cat is playing the whole first portion of the season up until the trade deadline, wondering whether or not he's going to be there past the trade deadline, you would think he's a professional. He's eight, nine years in. You know, he's just going to do his thing regardless, but he's also a human being, right? And he's made a ma- major commitment to this franchise and to this community. And could that have an effect on his play if he's leery about whether or not he's going to be around past the deadline. I'm not, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing, throwing it, throwing it out there. And then also, it happens. you know, if you're Jaden and you're thinking, well, you know, I could sign for 25 million now, but if they trade cat for an expiring and then an expiring next year, maybe I hold out and wait for 30 million right. you know, or whatever. But then, and also role wise, you know, I might only be averaging, you know, I might only get the uses to average 14, 15 a game, but if they trade Cat at the deadline and all of a sudden I got a bigger role and I'm a 20 point, 22 point a game scorer going into the playoffs and have a good playoff run, how many more millions is that worth? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, as, as, you know, playing devil's advocate as what could, be a problem as they move into the season. Um, And obviously I think the two big things that are going to be on everybody's radar, if he hasn't signed an extension by then is Jade McDaniel's contract extension and what happens with cat or Rudy. And again, I'm not convinced that they're going to trade cat over Rudy. Um, I think, think that we have to just let it all play out and see what manifests um you know everybody's like cat's gonna get traded cat's gonna get traded what if it's rudy you know what what if they decide you know we'll take back a a good two players to get the salary there and a first and a pick swap and people go, oh, well, you gave up five first round picks to get Rudy. Yeah, but we got him for two years. We built something elite. We like what we've built. And now we can move on from Rudy with a little bit of residual. Right. And, and be a top tier team. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just, I think all of that has to play out. That's why we talk about it. That's why we watch. That's why we're fans. Um, I was going to say as a, as a Wolves fan. That none of that is happening because by the trade deadline, the Wolves are going to be top three in the West, looking to make a, a championship run with a quality team 
and an Anthony Edwards who's becoming the face of the league. And that's why we love July, August. Exactly. That's why we love August. And it's the, anything's possible. Vikings are going to the Super Bowl. I didn't say all that. They're winning the championship. That's why we love August. <laughs> the best time of year. That's right. Nobody's disappointed yet. <laughs> <laughs> Except for, I can't even say the Detroit Lions this year. Heck. But get, as, go ahead. We got aliens. Oh. <laughs> as a wolf, as a wolf fan. I ain't have hope. <laughs> as, a, as a Wolves fan, there's no way that you can look at this roster and not have some real some real hope and aspirations that this team can do something. There's no way. After what we've been through for the past 15 years, there is no way that you cannot be excited to see what this team is capable of doing this year. Unless you're just a real hater and you never have any, there's no part of you that thinks that two bigs is going to ever work in the NBA. That's the only way you can look at this team and not be excited. Well, I will say that there are a lot of people out there who don't share your sentiment. And there are a lot of people out there locally and nationally that believe that the two bigs thing is not going to work. Um, I'm a coach. So I look at it like we have elite players at multiple positions. It's my job to get it to work. And that's how I look at it. Um, I understand where fans are coming from, but you know, you know, my philosophy, give me an elite defense, give me a size advantage and give me a guard that can flat out go and let's go, baby. Let's go. You know, so we'll see, you know, the NBA's ridiculously talented. I don't think that the way the game is played is better, but the talent overall team to team is um as much talent in the league as there's ever been. I think what the Miami Heat proved last season is that the 80s, 90s style of play, solid defense, lots of called plays, strong identity, get the ball to your go-to man in the fourth quarter, that still plays in this league. They did not have the most athleticism. They did not have the most one-on-one isolation talent. But next to the Denver Nuggets, they were the best team with a concept of how to play and manage a basketball game that there was in the NBA come the most important time of season. And that still plays. And I think Chris Finch is a believer in that idea. Um, And so that's why I think the Wolves have a shot at uh, surprising a lot of people. I think they were picked 16th in the ESPN power rankings. And out of those 16 teams ahead of them, I think 10 of them or nine of them were in the West, which would put the Wolves as a last play-in team. Um, They're underestimated. I agree. They're I agree. I agree. And last year, I mean, you know, it's funny. Last year, I would have definitely bet on the under. Um. And I would have been right. Uh, this year, I'm tempted to uh, call out the Circa and uh, do a little something-something on the over. But injuries are real. And um, I have been in Minnesota all my life. <laughs> and 
and shit happens here. And so I don't want to put my money on nobody else's health. Because <laughs> I think healthy, they could be, if they have Sacramento's health, if they have the health this year that Sacramento had last year, I think they'll be a, a three, four seed. I really do. If they have the health that Sacramento had last year. But then they, they, they even, even if they don't, the Wolves have depth this year. They have replacements. They have, they might not be the same caliber of players, but if, if someone goes down, the Wolves have capable players to step in and score the basketball. No, and that's why I believe they'll be a playoff team. Now, I don't know if they'll have to go through the playing again to get there, but I think they'll be a playoff team no matter what. Um, I just think that if they are going to be in that, you know, three, four, five conversation, um, they're going to need health. They're healthy. Yep. So, uh, you have been tuned in to the Coach and the Culture podcast. Uh, I am Coach Frank Centwali, joined as always by Super Producer Lloyd Leon Coop and Lance Gardner, owner and founder of Yes Trees. If you need your trees trimmed or removed and you are in the West Metro, you definitely need to give a call to Yes Trees. Lance, uh, how can people find your, find your, uh, uh, your, 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 it's almost a corporation now, boy. Y'all here doing it. <laughs> I don't know. And we will never be a corporation. I don't like that word. I don't want to be no associations to a corporation. We are going to stay up. in terms of y'all doing it big, you know? Yeah, we are. We're getting there. Um, we're gonna, but even when we're there, we're still going to be a small local tree service. We're going to, we're going to keep it, keep it small and simple. Um, but, uh, yes, trees, LLC.com. Um, you can find, uh, uh, everything on there. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook at yes, trees. Um, yes, like you said, anything trimming, removals, um, even if you just want an inspection. So when these storms come through, uh, you can be protected and prepared so you are not one of the people on your block with a tree in their front yard or even on their house. So if you haven't had your trees looked at in a while, you should definitely give us a call. And uh, if you see a six foot seven black man with short dreads outside with a shaman stick doing a storm dance, I'm not responsible. <laughs> I'll be out there praying for tornadoes, man. <laughs> my dreads ain't that short. I'll play. Oh, my goodness. Thank you all for hanging out with us on the Coach and the Culture podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And again, I will close by saying this. Cheryl Reeves is one bad mofo, man. She can coach her ass off, best coach in the state of Minnesota. I'm sorry, Coach Finch, but that woman is a monster behind the bench, and the links are just like, I. what she's doing with that team is just a master class in coaching, and uh, man, let's all say a prayer for Errol Spence. Thank y'all for listening. <laughs> To the Coach and the Culture Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.